0: Well, all right, so all the kids have been dismissed. Well, I, not that this has any spiritual significance to the message, but uh, I, I love these letters that sometimes kids write to God. Have you ever seen any of those letters to God from kids? One says, Dear Pastor, I'd like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother won't be there. Stephen, Stephen age 8, in Chicago. Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. Yours sincerely, Arnold, age 8, Nashville. Dear Pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has a good, has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson, sincerely. <laughs> Pete, Pete, age 9, Phoenix. Dear Pastor, my father should be a minister. Every day he gives a sermon about something. Robert Anderson, age 11. Dear Pastor, I'm sorry I can't leave more money in the plate, but my father didn't give me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? Love, Patty, age 10. New Haven. Dear pastor, my mother is very religious. She goes to play bingo at church every week, even if she has a cold. Yours truly, Annette, age nine. Dear pastor, I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. Laureen, age nine. I don't think I would. I'm sorry. Uh, dear pastor, I liked your sermon where you said that, that good health is more important than money. But I still want to raise in my allowance. Sincerely, Eleanor, age 12. Dear Pastor, please pray for all the airline pilots. I'm flying to California tomorrow. Lori, age 10. Dear Pastor, I hope hope to go to heaven someday, but later than sooner. Love, Ellen, age 9. Dear Pastor, please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help for a new pitcher. Alexander. Dear Pastor, my father says I should learn the Ten Commandments, but I don't think I want to because we have enough rules already in my house. Joshua, age 10. Dear Pastor, who does God pray to? Is there a God for God? Sincerely, Chris, age 9. Dear Pastor, are there any devils on earth? I think there may be one in my class. Car- <laughs> Carla, age 10. And then Selena, dear Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. Ralph. <laughs> Dear Pastor, how does God know the good people from the bad people? Do you tell him or does he read about it in the newspapers? Sincerely, Marie, age nine. Well, there's one thing for sure. We all, um, from an early age, desire to, not only from God or a pastor, we want to to know how this all works and uh, try to figure it out, how, how living for God works and how God thinks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verses eight through ten. It says, "For to one is given the spirit, given the spirit, the word of wisdom; to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit; to another, faith by the same spirit; to another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit; to another, the working of miracles; to another, prophecy; to another, discerning of spirits; to another, diverse, uh, uh, diverse kinds of tongues; to another, the interpretation of tongues." Why are the manifestation gifts so important? I talk about manifestation gifts. It's where something supernatural, the, the, the gift that, that only by the power of the Holy Spirit comes about. And, and it's really because what separates us from our feeble minds, like these, these kids who have a funny take on, on God or their, their pastor's role and what they can do, is really it's the power of God to, to work in our lives and to do things that concern us um, that, that have to do with concerning us that makes a difference between what we're doing here in the church and what the psychologist is doing down the street in the psychology office. I mean, we have the motivational gifts. We've, we've got the ministry working. What's so important about the manifestation gifts? There are churches who do not feel that it is important to have manifestations of the Holy Spirit at work in their services. And, you know, we, I, I take that for granted, but there are churches that meet all the time that their mode is we come in, we sing a certain amount of songs, we do our our sermon, and then we just try to be good. We just try to follow the Ten Commandments, and that's it. Uh, And and we don't have anything else to worry about. Many believers have chosen to view the manifestations of God's power as something contrived by man and thus slowly uh, accepted a humanistic faith. In in other words, they gave up on seeing anything miraculous happening, in their churches. You remember uh, Sunday, I mentioned that statistically they say that two thirds of people in all denominational churches say that they regularly, that, or that they never hardly experience the power of God. Only one third says regularly they experience the power of God in church. So if you're not regularly experiencing the power of God in church, uh, by conditioning, you eventually think there's no need for that. We're, we're doing fine, right? A preacher sounds good, worship sounds good. Uh sounds true, so so what what more would you need? And so then from the outside looking in to a Pentecostal experience, they they obviously would just say, That's weird. It's weird. We you know, that's that's contrived a man. Uh, people seeming like they, they scream out to the Lord or they you know, they're trembling, or they may fall on the ground, or they may speak in tongues. That that that's easy for them to make that transition to. This is just just something that is uh, 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 the contrived by man. And they, they start to believe that where the miracles of the Bible were just only that happened in the Bible and not relevant today. You know, I believe that, that God is the same God that parted the waters from Moses, the same God today, and if there should be a need for him to part waters in that same manner for his people, I believe God will do it and can do it. I don't believe that he did that just for a reference point in the Scripture and that that doesn't apply to us today, that that power is not available to us. They accept in the Bible two parts only, historical account for knowing God, who God is, and te- a teaching manual for how to live a better life. Here, here's the goal of the sermon. This is, this is the heart part of, so you don't think I'm just talking at you, is listen, I keep saying this over, aren't you hungry to experience God in a greater way than you ever have been before? Otherwise, I have a hard time figuring out what we're doing here. I have a hard time figuring out what we're doing if we aren't personally. I, I know about reaching others in the Great Commission, yes, if that's our charge to do. But the very foundational part of it is for us to grow in the Lord and for us to experience him, right? That's the whole, when you talk about the parting of the waters, that's the whole journey of the children of Israel. Is God's trying to say, look, I want to interact with you in a supernatural way all of your lives, all the time. But when you let sin or other things crowd in and divert your attention, then you're the one separating yourself from the supernatural intervention of God. You're the one that put yourself into bondage. So again, they'll, they'll, there's some that will look at, uh, they accept the Bible in two parts. Historical account for knowing who God is and teaching manual for how to live a better life. A- and by that, they'll refer to, it's, it's like referring to the alcoholic to AA. Oh, you've got problems? You go to the Bible. That's true. But but they look at it more like just a manual of how-tos. The emotionally distraught to a psychiatrist. The family domestic disputes to psychologists. The uncontrollable teenager to a juvenile court. The mentally imbalanced to an asylum. This is a very slippery conversation, slippery slope conversation in our culture today. Because I, I will just tell you, not long ago on Facebook, I put something on there uh, that God had downloaded to me. And it had to do with us really believing and depending on the supernatural power of God to deliver people from all types of things. And that we don't just run to drugs or, or medicine. And I preface that I'm not a Scientologist trying to steer us away from doctors and medicine. God uses that. But what I'm saying is, I believe as a church, have we given up on the supernatural and we automatically start thinking towards that way? Jennifer and I have been amazed that even in our own generation, how many parents will quickly think to the natural means who say they are believers in the powerful almighty God, but they, they, that their first reaction is not to go to prayer, not to storm the gates of heaven with, with petition to God, but to say, well, what doctor do we need? What you know, now my kid wakes up 104 degree temperature in the middle of the night. I'm probably, I'm calling the ER. I'm on my way probably to the ER by then. But we're praying. We're we're praying in tongues over that child and believing. And and we're heading there believing God for a miracle. Uh, my dad, you know, we'll be before long we'll be up on Father's Day again. And my dad shared uh, a story on Father's Day about how when I was very little, not able to talk, but just barely able to walk, I drank a bottle of spot remover. It was a very potent chemical they used to use for getting spots off of suits. And I drank it and I stumbled in a room, passed out and I flatlined for, I think he said, five out of seven days in the hospital. They had me literally strapped upside down to keep any more from running down my esophagus. They said I'd never eat solid foods again. And Devin can attest from today, I can eat a lot of solid foods. <laughs> yeah. I like, to, I like to go to eat with people who have a lot of conversation, you know, can talk a little bit because that gives me time to keep cramming, right, while I'm listening. But Um, So, you know, the miraculous, you know, there is a lot of pastors and even a Catholic minister that was praying for me. And so um, we have God has proven the doctors wrong in situation after situation for me. But but that was because when the doctors say there's nothing else can do, we don't give up on the Lord. And so and so that's the difference. And thank you, Robin, in my corner. We can get some preaching and everybody's, paying, everybody's letting the fact that there's a lot of people missing tonight probably affect you, but I'll take the amens. I'll take that. If we have accepted that our job, then there is, to, is is no need for the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If that's the position that we end up taking, whether we consciously take it or we let ourselves just gravitate in our hearts to that point, then uh, you know, And again, I'm not teaching Scientology here where I tell you not to go for medical treatment of any kind. I'm not saying that, not just because of legal reasons. I'm saying that for, uh, for textual reasons, for biblical reasons, that I don't believe that God's against doctors. But what I'm saying is that they're, what, is, what is the job of the believer? I mean, really, what's our job? If God was to pull you out of this environment right now, I'll just use Janae. Janae's like, please don't. Shy. If all of a sudden God was to, you know, through some situation, a good situation, move you away from home when you're older and, and you're just gone. And you're not new song anymore. It's Janae. Everything that God's poured into you now is with you. And it's not from your parents keep on fueling it into you or, you know, this church fueling into you. But now you're on your own, maybe in an environment where you're the only believer there. You know, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is what is my job as a believer? If I don't have my church to tell me what my job is as a believer, I have the Word of God, but, but listen, it becomes real because we have to figure that out. That's what, that's what happens to a lot of our college students, unfortunately. When they leave the church and they don't have the support of the church and they get into a humanistic college where they've got a professor with an agenda to try to come against the Word of God and make it in as foolishness and, and disprove it, then, then that's where we have to figure out what is my job as a believer was my commission? And at the very basic level, before you get into ministering to anybody else, because we talk about the Great Commission and, and going out and making disciples, but it's for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. Because in the Acts account, after Jesus was crucified and rose again and ascended, they went way up the r- upper room, the very necessity was that the, the Holy Spirit began to operate in them, to manifest in them supernaturally, so that they had power to go and do what they were to do. And if you step into the college campus or you step into the secular workplace and you aren't being charged up by the power and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the gifts in you, then you're already at a detriment where you have a weakness there that the enemy is going to try to uh, exploit. When someone says that they're sick and you just say, oh, I'll pray for you, or their relative is sick, and then they die and they ask you, I thought you prayed. And you aren't letting the Holy Spirit operate in you where where literally at a moment's notice, the words start coming out of your mouth, the answers that you didn't know you had. That's that's what makes the difference between the, the Christian just surviving and thriving in a secular world. That's what I've been getting at when I say that it's not a matter of being filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence speaking tongues just so that you can say I did it. It's because you're facing real-world tough problems when you face non-believers in the workplace. And I'm telling you, from someone that's experienced, I am weak without the Holy Spirit operating me. And I say the wrong things, stick my foot in my mouth when I get in the flesh all the time. But I cannot be good enough on my own to be able to say and do the things that happen when the Holy Spirit is flowing through me. It just is uncanny, the difference. And so when I talk about these things, what I have to be cognizant of is maybe some of you that I love very dearly here, and I have utmost faith that we will be in heaven rocketed together with Jesus and fellowshipping. So I'm not questioning your salvation, but I want to know, I really want to know, and I'm curious sometimes, how is the Holy Spirit operating in your daily life when you're not here? And I don't mean that like I'm evaluating you, I mean it like I I cry out to God hoping for you that, that that is what will make your faith come alive. That is what will truly light your faith up for Christ in the workplace, um, around unsaved family members. Christ has commissioned us, the church, his body, to have the answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ. But again, we preached on this recently that Christ wants to, after you're saved, after you're baptized into the body of Christ, he wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and then he wants to see the manifestation of the gifts, the, the gift that God has given you to Manifest in your life. So the reason the manifestation gifts are vitally important is because they will enable us to bring the answer to a world who needs an answer. They are our weapons of warfare. I I can't preach this theme enough that we are in a spiritual battle all the time. We're in a spiritual battle. I could tell you coming in this service tonight, I felt like the enemy was going to battle for someone tonight. I'm not saying that, just be hokey. I'm telling you, I I get these, if I can say creepy feelings once in a while. It's not the Lord making me feel creepy, but just like everything seems okay. I don't know why I have this feeling, but I feel like God's going to try to get between me. I kind of use Nathan's example. Me and Nathan never have, I never have a question about the relationship between me and Nathan, but all of a sudden one, Sunday, I just started getting this weird feeling. I was like, I felt like the enemy was going to try to get between me and Nathan. And, and I know it was kind of weird for him, but I said, Nathan, I just want to make sure everything's okay. I just, I just had this feeling, and I pay attention to those things. I act on them. If I look like a fool doing it, that's okay. I'd rather make the mistake on that end than make the mistake of ignoring it, and then the devil get a foothold. And, of course, Nathan's like, no, I'm all good. Of course, probably what I was sensing is he was going through major transitions with his job. And, and Nathan's always cool as a cucumber, but even with those transitions, you know, I could tell there's something bothering him and uh, or at least weighing on him. Second Corinthians 10 for for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience Christ. Here's the amazing thing about this text. Think about this. You're at work. And they're having unwholesome talk. And you know that it's directed around you to be able to test you. Today, I was at Walmart after, a, uh, I, I, after I met with Devin. I went um, to go get some new glasses because he's broke and I keep supergluing them. And so I'm there. And there's some people kind of hanging around there. And I mentioned something to the lady about me being a pastor. We started talking about the church. And when I left, there was some joking and jeering and some hallelujahs and things like that in a very mocking tone. And it wasn't any, uh, any uh, mystery to me who they were trying to jab at, even though I had no idea who these people were. And this fellow bearded men, which bothered me, I'm like, we're on the same team, aren't we? I'm just like, kidding. This culture thinks, you know. What was that I saw? If, if you have a beard and you can't change a tire, shave. Have you ever seen that? Because <laughs> there's a whole thing about being, you know, trendy and having a beard. But if you have a beard and you can't change a flat on your car, then you need to shave. That's that's the deal. But anyway, they're they're jeering at me, and and listen, I'm still susceptible a little bit to the like, why Why are you trying to hurt me? You know. But then something stirred up at me and said, yeah, bring it on, because I know who th- I know who's pulling your chain, and and he knows that I'm ready to kick him square in the teeth. So I was just hoping they would actually look at me so I could start a conversation, because I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna rail them. I'm just gonna say, you know who's making that funny to you? <laughs> <laughs> you know who's pulling your chain right now? I can tell you in the spiritual realm. You know, and it probably would have been weird for them and maybe for me too. But <laughs> fortunately the Holy Spirit didn't pull that trigger so it didn't happen. But, but But here's the thing. You're at the workplace and they're jeering and they're doing those things. What happens inside of you? Do you shrink back or do you realize that he that is in you is more powerful than he's in the world? And does it fire you up not to be mad at them or to try to prove them wrong or make them feel silly or get back at them but to win them over for the cause of Christ and say, listen, I know this sounds funny to you, but I'm telling you, if, if you run through problems, if you can't sleep at night and you've got things perplexing you, I've got an answer that will take care of that. And you can just test it. You want to have a conversation with me, I'll tell you what will solve your world problems right now is knowing Jesus. Jesus and letting the power of the Holy Spirit operate you. It's because once you know Jesus, he's not done with you. He's going to introduce you to the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way, and those manifestational gifts all of a sudden make this relationship that everybody else makes just religion and being Jesus people, all of a sudden a whole new thing. Because now your whole day is lit up by, by the Holy Spirit interacting with you and other people. Listen to this and remember it. The gifts of the Spirit to the believer are what the stone was to David when he slew Goliath. They are what the jawbone of a, of, of a donkey was to Samson when, they slew 10, uh, when he slew thousand men. You may think that what you're doing here is small time because you look at maybe the building you're in or the number of people in your church or whether there's Five souls saved last week, or not? The thing is, is that you have the power of the Holy Spirit available to you in your daily life when you're not even here. It doesn't. It is not even about new song. It's not even about the Baptist church across the street. It's about you, Vincent, or you, Devin, or Janae, or Andrew. It's that you. God has called you out, has set you apart, has made you a royal priesthood, has given you the availability. He hasn't just given it to you automatically. He's asked you, if you will seek me out and you will make yourself uh, available to me and you will surrender your will to me, I will let the Holy Spirit begin to operate you and and operate you in such a supernatural way. People can't help but take notice there's something very different about you, something not of this world. That is where it meets. And then then we do this self-evaluation side. But, you know, I still, I just get timid when those, people around i think about timothy being in ephesus i talked about this before. timid timothy you know he's dealing with a lot of false teachers people challenge him nothing like being a preacher and then half your congregation or more trying to tell everybody else in the congregation behind your back that you're not preaching the right thing that would be a tough spot to be in trying to preach against you and, and turn people to a different belief the modern church seeks to win the world from from slavery and bondage of the devil without these instruments of God's power. And look, I'm going to, um, it's like trying to defeat a modern army barehanded without weapons. I'm going to step on a, a little uh, frail line here because I believe uh, that there are um, medical conditions. I believe that there are some that, that God uses the doctors to treat. I believe there's also been an epidemic, especially in the parenting world, of letting doctors quickly say your kid has a condition when it may be a lack of discipline. Your kid has a condition when it's because the parents are totally unplugged and into electronics so much that the kid has no guidance or full direction. Kids love discipline. You know, here's the thing. When I used to do Royal Rangers, and I was Royal Ranger commander, we had boys that their parents didn't even come to church. We had two, two boys. I probably mentioned them before. The last name was Dam. And so uh, the van, bus, van driver, if they said, I'm going to go pick up the Dam boys, everybody's like, what? what? Boy, somebody else needs to drive the van, you know. You know. But these boys, literally one of them had, tr- had tried to kill the other with a kitchen knife and had gone through the court systems. These are 10 and 11-year-old boys. Those boys were so unruly. But you know what? After a summer of, you know, listen, if you're going to talk through class, I'm going to make you hold a phone book out at your nose. And every time it drops below your nose, but your arms get tired, then it's 10 push-ups. So choose what you want. You want to do push-ups all night? You want to hold that phone book up where I told you. None of them figured out they could just say, I'm not doing either. You know, I mean, I can't lay a hand on them. But, you know, they just, they weren't used to having an authority figure. Tell them this is the way it's going to be. And that's why we teach our kids. The reason we don't, we don't look at God's word as just rules. But we look at it as these are, these are guidelines to help us live a safe and protected life. Under the wings of God's protection. And you know, when I finally had to quit doing World Rangers and went, came back to school time, those boys cried and hugged me and didn't want me to leave. They wanted discipline. They were hungry for it. The one thing you've got to realize is everyone who is living for Satan, those who are not following God are living for Satan, they are hungry for discipline. They are searching to and fro, finding, trying to find answers for discipline in their life. And they'll go to a guru. I just watched this terrible, well, I didn't finish it, but a terrible thing on, I, I sometimes watch these things about cults in the past I didn't know about these big cults that formed, and it's just amazing that some of these i never heard of. Terrible things, but people go to gurus, they'll go to, you know, Eastern religions, they'll go to all kinds of things trying to find some discipline to their life. The key component in all those is they found structure that they didn't have before and people who understood uh, their problems and gave them structure for those problems. The problem with those is, is they don't have real power to them that lasts there's always corruption in enters because they're founded in, in an evil, bait, uh, you know, their, their root is of evil. But God's ways are to bring that discipline and structure people's lives and when the operation of the gifts happen, it begins to, to put us in a situation where we're coming under the discipline of how God handles the world's problems. A word of wisdom to someone where you couldn't have known what they're dealing with, but God gives you something that just cuts to the heart because it's talking directly to the problem. Prophecy, where you, you tell them something that nobody else could have known that, that comes to pass, and they're like, that is a prophet of God. Those are That's the discipline to their life. That's the answer to the problem they're looking for. And it's the, uh, the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit that this world needs. Matthew 12, 29. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first... Bind the strong man, and then will spoil his house. Zechariah four six. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm not saying you have to do things like me. I know I give me as an example because I don't have much time. I know a lot of other examples, but you know I know what's going on with me. But I'm telling you, I wasn't the kind of person that would scream out uh, driving down the road in my car, you know, praise to God or wrestle with with things out loud and just be almost a fool to try to get somewhere with God. But, but I, th- I believe that if until we're ready to totally abandon ourselves and everything we know about ourselves and just say, God, I'm completely yours, you can do with me as you wish, and look, I'm not worried about looking like a fool if you're the one doing it, and let the, the Holy Spirit begin to operate in us in those manifestational, supernatural ways, I think we'll always feel like our walk with the Lord is just a little weak. Because we're just missing the power of the operation of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I, I'm going to skip over this part a little. I want to give some time in prayer. But um, I do want to just mention the gifts are generally by most theologians broke down into uh, three categories by most. Um, this is one way to put it: power to know or to reveal information. That's word of wisdom, word of knowledge or discerning of spirits. There's the power to act or do action. That's faith and healings and miracles. And power to speak. That'd be tongues and interpretation of tongues, prophecy. But the power of uh, the word of wisdom, power to know, um, the definition, it, it is a wise and supernatural utterance spoken through the operation of the Holy Ghost. It applies to the prophetic revelation of God's word or the Holy Ghost wisdom to a specific situation or problem. Listen, this gift can be so powerful in in our culture especially. Because the younger generation come up because of YouTube and other things and all the the arguments between Christian apologists and the atheists. For you to be able to speak words of wisdom that are from the Holy Spirit that they cannot contest because it is not just to do with worldly wisdom but it's something supernatural. You are not going to be able to argue this new generation into the kingdom. I'm going to tell you that. I've watched enough of those realize we're that's an uphill battle you will not be able to just intelligently these Christian apologists are doing a great job. I'm not negating what they're doing. They're doing a great job giving scientific and biblical explanation uh, for for God's word and doing a great job. But the average Christian out there is not called to go to the college campuses and be a Christian apologist. You are you are going to be dealing with a generation who because of this information age and because they have access to those talks even though they weren't there, they're going to come armed with what they think they know that they are basically regurgitating from someone else. But if, if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in those moments, no matter how studied up you are, um, you're going to find yourself uh, feeling timid in those situations. Word to knowledge, the definition, the immediate supernatural awareness about people or circumstances or facts, in existence which cannot be seen, heard, or revealed naturally. That's why there's still palm readers and those type of things. They are searching for that knowledge, the supernatural knowledge. They they've given up on man to really having the final answer. They want to know if there's any any way to supernaturally have knowledge about their life and their future. And God has provided that, but the enemy has tried to counterfeit it. Discerning of spirits, the definition of spiritual gift that supernaturally enables a Christian believer to distinguish between holy and unholy spirits through the power of the Holy Spirit. This gift is thought to be especially necessary in instances when individuals may need to be delivered or healed of demonic oppression. That, that is key. I, I mentioned the story about, I've, I've run into very few people who I can 100% say they're demon-possessed, you know, that I just knew. And I, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but a young man at the jail who came by the church a few times, I interacted with, definitely no d- demonic uh, uh, um, possession. And I found myself in a situation where I actually was kind of fearful. God, can I cast this demon out? And I sat across through the glass with him at the jail, and while that demon was manifesting, and some weird stuff going on, and just felt myself almost starting to shrink back. And then I got away from there for a moment, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let the enemy back me down. And, and there's just something that happens when you become willing to let the, the Holy Spirit operate through you supernaturally. That's when the power of the Holy Spirit becomes evident and manifests. and And the next time, I was able to speak his name with authority, knowing that it was it was Jesus in me, the Holy Spirit, that was allowing me to speak it without authority, and it would just boom, he would break loose of that for a moment. First John 4 one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of uh, of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There, there's so much going on in in, in evangelical churches these days, and uh, so many ministers that are getting into false doctrines and leading masses that way. And we've got we to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit with discernment to know so we don't get pulled along or allow others to be pulled along by these false doctrines. This verse wasn't talking about having the gift of discernment by, by just, well, I can just tell that person's not a good person. is talking about the spiritual realm, being able to discern of spirits. Try the spirits, test them. The test was those who say that Christ did not come in the flesh, the incarnation, were not of God. So, um, I, wanna, I said I want to skip through some of this. I want to draw your attention to an incident in the Old Testament concerning Moses and Pharaoh. If you remember in Exodus chapter 7, verse 10, Moses and Aaron went uh, in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. You remember this account? And then what happened? Just check and see who's uh, awake, listening. What happened after that? Huh? Yeah. So after Aaron threw his down, and became a snake. What? 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 Pharaoh do? <laughs> musicians. It's always the musicians, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The musicians, the magicians threw down their, their staffs, and they became snakes, right? The devil duplicated the miracle. This is why I caution the church, don't chase after every revival that comes along without knowing who's behind it, what's leading. I've told you that in Siloam Springs recently they had Christian mysticism meetings where it was under the guise of an evangelical meeting with well-known speakers, and some of these guys have bonded into this whole thing where like even drug use was okay, toking in the spirit, and all these type of things. So right in our own backyard, you cannot just think, hey, this is great, they've got a great flyer and a great video, and it looks like they believe the Bible, I think I'll just go along. The devil is waiting to duplicate, to counterfeit. I don't like using the word duplicate, counterfeit. There are many things going on in the name of Christianity today that are not of God, but are of duplication and imitation. A real thing, I don't get excited every time somebody says, hey, we're having an all-night worship thing over here. Because I find that sometimes I get along, and these people, their whole heart is about performance. And, and, and it may be a movement of people that are just like, you know what? God bless them, pray for them, but I'm just not going to get tied up with that. I, I just want to caution you. We don't have to be paranoid And worried about every believer out there, whether they're a real deal or not. But just don't be so easy to get swept along. Pray and let the Holy Spirit guide you about what is of God and what is not. We're living in a day of coexistence. Many churches are trading holiness and commitment to the literal interpretation of Scripture to a more politically correct interpretation. This is why transgender and these other things are now being accepted in many uh, church organizations Denominations because they are choosing a coexistence mentality or doctrine instead of literally what the scripture teaches. I've surfed the internet before and came across this church website that um, a while back, and it's it, it, it's could look like ours. I mean, we're a casual environment, want people to come as you are type of thing. You know, we've got coffee and you know, we're going to have a, new, uh, a better coffee place in the new church. And we're not trying to woo people just with coffee, but that's a cultural thing that people enjoy and we can get conversation going. And so it's a tool. But, but in this website, it began to say, you know, we want you to come in and you'll find people just like you. And, you know, we, we won't have any, we never take an offering in the service. And I don't know how they operate. But then, then it also said, and you'll never have a high pressure altar call. At our church, we want you to be comfortable. And I thought, well, that's a real thing to state on your website that we're never going to have a high-pressure altar call, as if every church has ever done that before. All the people are saying that that was the wrong way to do it. I'm just getting really turned off these days by by uh, church. Um, uh, what am I trying to look for? Uh, uh, advertising, if you will, or marketing. That that is is it's the real heart of it. You can start to see as a comparison of other churches and trying to find a gimmick. To reach the lost, there's nothing wrong with using. Like I said, I'm going to tell you it's not because we're wanting to use them, but you know, a church may have lights or smoke machine, all that. It's all in the heart of what you're doing. It you'll find out very quickly is that what they're leaning on, thinking that will make church for them and reach the. And some of them aren't worried about reaching the lost, just build a church, and build a bigger facility or. Are they in it saying, what is our culture? What's going to speak to them so that we convey the gospel to them in a real sense and help them understand the reality of the gospel that will maybe take away some of their reservations? And one of the things is, is if a church expects everybody to be in a suit and you've got people that don't own a suit, they're not going to go buy a suit to come to your church. So that's, a, that's an okay thing to say, we're trying to reach a culture that that's not them. But to say that we're never going to have this high-pressure altar call says, we're, we're not going to allow the Holy Spirit to change how we operate, we're going to change how the Holy Spirit operates. When we focus on, you know, you'll like some music, some of the songs our band plays are contemporary, but you'll also hear some familiar favorites mixed in. It's almost like those old infomercials where it's like mixtape, the oldies. You'll hear everything from Elvis to whatever, whatever, for only 19 and about not noticing a difference, that it's one thing to say you'll be welcome and you won't be judged right away, but you can come as you are, but then to say that everybody will be just like you. I think it's, it's sending the wrong message that we're not here to change, we're here to just assimilate and mix in. See, what does this have to do with the gift of discerning of spirits or others? See, the devil doesn't care if you go to church, if you sing in the choir or sing in the worship team, whatever you do. It's when you come out and you're intending to be separate from this world that the devil cares and takes notice. There are many, many churches the devil could care less about what they're doing in the church because they aren't intending to try to separate themselves from what the devil's doing in the world. They just want to try to bring more people in at whatever cost. To strive for godliness those are the things the devil cannot stand for you to do. What happened in Moses' day of coexistence? Well, Satan convinced the people that both good and evil could coexist together. Same thing all the way back to the Garden of Eden he was trying to do. It's the same old story, the same old lie. The same, the same thing will happen in the end times in Revelation 16, 12. And the sixth angel poured out his uh, vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Verse 14, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole of the world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. It means that the devil is targeting our leaders and he's using... Uh, people who who say they're working miracles for god uh, false prophets we've got to be very careful so even now we're living in a day of coexistence and there's little or no distinction between the holy and the profane and in many churches we got to be careful of that so how do we know the difference well look at what happened in moses situation but aaron's rod swallowed up their rods the other snakes When we have the genuine power of God, the real will always prevail. And that's why when people are jeering at us or we feel like Satan's rearing his ugly head and trying to push our our faith down our throats and, and push us back. We need to understand that with the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting our life through our gifts, just like Paul told the elders in the church of Ephesus, Acts 20, 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Verse 31. Therefore watch and remember. That by the space of three years, I I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was insistent that there would be a distinction, a separation, that there could never be coexistence. So the gifts are vital in our church today. Paul said to covet earnestly the best gifts in 1 Corinthians 12.31. So church, here's what what boils down to everyone. What I'm about to say will make some maybe uneasy, but some may choose to spit this out. But I want you to to hear this. Until you want more of God's power manifesting daily in your lives, the messages you hear from me or anyone else will sound weak every time. Unless it's someone just looking to tickle people's ears. Your relationships will be bland at best. Your sleep hindered by continuous internal conflict god once you have heard the truth he will not let you rest easy until you surrender completely and let the holy spirit begin to manifest and operate in you we're already too far down the road you need the operation of the gifts in your your otherwise we're just treading water trying to convince ourselves everyone else and convince everybody else that we're immersed We have to jump in i was thinking about when we were at silver city and one of the last rides we rode of all things, it just finally got warm enough was that Lost River ride. You're in a big raft, seat six. We had my family, all five of us, and some teenage boy that jumped in with us. And so we're going, and, and the name of that game is, you know, I don't, the adults, the kids love to get wet, right? But we don't, especially I'm getting ready to ride home. So my whole goal is, Jen's sitting the opposite side of me, and I'm, I love my wife, but I'm planning to be dry. So if you're heavy, you can kind of bob the thing a little bit, and try to get it to move, and and if you're fortunate, they'll be the ones that hit the went dives down, and get the splash, right? And and so the whole time I'm like boom, and and it starts splash. I'd raise up, even my buckle would come loose, you know, so that it wouldn't get my backside wet. And I've got this whole thing down. I've done this a lot of times. And Jen gets soaked, and some of the kids get soaked, but the very last, I I got splashed right down the side, and so they're all laughing because they knew I was trying to avoid it. And I was like, okay, you got me. You know, if I had not got wet, I'd be guaranteed the kids like, let's go one more time. Let's go one more time. <laughs> see, it seems more fun to try to bounce the boat so others get soaked. We will pray for revival and we'll want to see something happen, but we kind of do it with, without realizing we're, what we have in our heart is that someone else will get something so we feel good about what's happening in our church. But when the, when the thought actually comes to us being the one laid out in the altar and speaking in tongues or shaking before the Holy Spirit or something happened to us, then, then all of a sudden we're wanting to rock the boat the other direction. You know, let me get a little splash on so everybody leave me alone and say I got some. Come on. Come on. I'm repeating what's been in my heart before. I just have a feeling I'm not the only one try to rock this boat at Newsom. Man, I hope we have a whole bunch of stuff happening here. I hope the Holy Spirit busts loose. But we're the first one out the door when there's an altar call. We're the first one looking at the time, trying to figure out why we got to be going. And and all the while thinking, that's great. I'm really happy for the church, and I hope that happens. But you know why it doesn't happen sometimes? Because God's trying to get us to let loose of that prideful spirit, that selfishness, that, that trying to just get a little wet, but we don't want too much of him. And when those things bust out and those, that, that kind of stuff happens in church is when the church as a whole finally says enough is enough. We're all in. We're all in. Soak me. I don't care. I'll rock the boat the other direction. I just hope it, it, it drowns me first. That's what we need to have that desire and that hunger that all of the Holy Spirit, everything we can absorb. Lord, drench me. Give me everything you've got. I'm ready. I want it. And again, I'll just say, if you struggle with wanting it, then I will tell you, I could almost 100% tell you, you're filling yourself with things that are, that, are, uh, that are falsely quenching your thirst for it. They're temporal. It, it makes me think about um, when uh, we got a whole bunch of the Gatorade or G2 drinks donated for use or whatever we've been using on the project, and it's like a red fruit punch. Man, it seems like I can't get enough of those. Be working out there, and you're down like three or four till your kidneys are starting to hurt, you know, because whatever they got in those things. And you're like, but I like those, and those are supposed to be good for you. They're a sports drink, right? But you never can seem to quench your thirst. You grab one bottle, you know, a third of what you're drinking that. You grab one bottle of water, bottle of water, drink that, and all of a sudden you're good for a while. And Jesus talked about, you know, come and drink so you never be thirsty. And I'm going to tell you that if you're not thirsty, if you're not hungry for what the Holy Spirit has, if what I'm saying to you sounds like a foreign language and you're just not sure that you're all in for receiving from the Holy Spirit, then I can tell you either your schedule, your priorities, your entertainment, something in your life is giving you a false sense of quench to your thirst. I'm just being real with y'all. There's something quenching your thirst, but you're not really getting fulfilled. It's just basically the devil's using it to bypass you enough that you're missing what's going on here in the, in the services so that it can carry over into your weekly life. He, he's drowning out the words I'm preaching. He's taming down the meaning of what I'm getting at. He's taking the whole gist of the sermon and, and helping you be distracted enough Wearing you out in other ways some way so that you just pass by that time a little bit more so you can just keep it from happening. And then you get frustrated thinking, you know what? Why is it I can't get through to my boss? Why is it I can't get through to my loved ones? Why is it I can't get through to them? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the operation of the gifts in your life. And I guarantee you, you'll see people come to Christ. You'll see fruit of your labors. You want the lame to walk? Get immersed in the Holy Spirit and have them chasing you around the sanctuary. You want marriages healed? Get full of the Holy Spirit and you can pray the real love language over their marriage. You want to see the devil's tricks swallowed whole, embarrassing him in front of his followers? Let the Holy Spirit manifest you and he'll get you so fired up. That's why I say things like, I just want to chew up nails. The devil is using them for my coffin and to spit bullets back at him. Those Those visuals I get are from a well up inside me that just says, I'm tired of the devil kicking people around and I'm ready to fight. When we had that real, when we, when we were released ourselves that move of the Holy Spirit a couple Sundays back, I was up here, I found myself praying, I was just saying, I'll fight, I'll fight. That's, if you want to know what I was praying, I was just those words kept coming out, I'll fight. God, you let me in, I'll fight. We need the fight in our relationship with God back. We want to fight for the operation of the gifts in our kids and in us let the Holy Spirit manifest in you. I want to just we've got some minutes before our normal time of, of uh, getting out. And I just would love for us to take a moment and let what the Holy Spirit is speaking in our hearts to really gel and and, and be a commitment of some kind. So I'm just going to challenge you whether you're stay where you're at or come to altar or somewhere just spend the next 10 minutes at least just immersed you know and and, and like when Jesus was praying in the garden when you go close your eyes, and this week's been tiring, and it's nice to catch that little bit of nap, just realize this, this is what this is the times that will help prepare you for tomorrow. Whatever's coming at you tomorrow. So when you're finding struggles, whether it be at work or wherever it is or in your families, don't fall asleep in the garden. Right now, let's spend time with the Lord. Amen.